From the Classical 89 studios at BYU Broadcasting, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. The late William Primrose was a legendary violist known throughout the world for his musicianship, teaching style, and writings. In fact, he was so beloved, and still is, he actually has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, one of just a handful of classical musicians to have that honor. In 1982, he passed away in Provo, Utah, and his collection of annotated scores were gathered together for the formation of the William Primrose International Viola Archive. More about that later. It's housed at Brigham Young University's Harold B. Lee Library. Today, William Primrose's legacy is honored annually with a memorial concert. This has been happening for at least 30 years, since 1982, and featuring a special guest artist. Today, for the 2014 guest artist, we're featuring Tim Dighton, who's with us. He's a native New Zealander, currently teaching viola at Penn State University. There, he set up the Penn State Viola Ensemble, which he also directs. He's recorded a solo CD, Viola Aotearoa, on the Atoll label, featuring music of New Zealand composers. And he's really a violist after a modern composer's own heart because he regularly premieres and commissions new music, more than 50 pieces for viola so far. I'll tell you what, let's hear music, and then we're going to talk to Tim and we'll get into all of that. So we're going to start, we have a unique opportunity today to hear several different movements, the complete work by Franz Schubert, his sonatina for violin and piano in D major, transcribed for viola by our performer today, Tim Dighton, accompanied here by Jeffrey Shumway, the first movement. Thank you. 
The first movement of Schubert's Sonatina for violin and piano in D, performed live by Tim Dighton and Jeffrey Shumway. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. You're listening to Highway 89. Tim, thank you so much for coming in today. And Thanks for having me. That's quite an honor to be part of the Primrose program. Very much so. When yeah. you first became a violist, were you aware who William Primrose was and that legacy? I think even in the dark old days when I was a violinist, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I do remember his name. Yeah, I mean, he's such a, such a big personality, no question. Well, we are at that point where if this were a CD, we would have pressed pause to read the, read the liner notes. Uh, we're still in the middle of this performance, pausing in between movements, but this mm -hmm. is the new clickable version where the artist appears. <laughs> and we get to ask, this uh, transcription you did yourself for mm. uh, viola, what made you feel like this would be a good piece for viola? That's a good question. Uh, I think one of the issues for violists um, is that uh, you know we have a wonderful repertoire. Um, sometimes violinists and pianists who have large repertoires try to make out that we don't, but we have we have incredible music written for our instrument. But we don't have a lot of music from the by great composers from the late classical, early Romantic period, and um, Schubert is obviously one of those. Mm. Um, uh, Primrose himself was uh, heard to say that one of his reasons for for trans, uh, transcribing, he did a lot of transcribing works, uh, uh, was out of envy. Uh, and I think that that's, that's much the case. Uh, for me well, too. you have a viola, you're not playing it at the moment, but you have mm. a viola with a very unique shape I've been reading about. Tell me about the, the shape and why it's cut differently and shaped differently. The Balm Fourth? Yeah, uh, Alan and Sarah Balm Fourth um, uh, are luthiers in uh, Seattle, Washington. And um, they make uh, an instrument that's modeled on a, a pattern. It, uh, there were these instruments uh, b before the violin family uh, came along. There was a viol family. Uh, and this instrument uh, is, is patterned on what was probably, I suppose, best known as a, a lira de braccio. Um, so it was, a, it was a similar kind of instrument. It was played under the, under the, the chin, just as a viola is. Um, but uh, so it's it's historically correct in that sense. But it's the other part of it is that the viola, because of its uh, size, uh, because of the range that it plays in, it mm -hmm. has to be a fairly big instrument uh, in a order to get the cello sound that on you your want. Shoulder. That's right. And so <laughs> you're constantly balancing, um, wanting a bigger instrument to get the kind of tone that you're looking for, uh, but with that with playability. And and the thing about this Balmforth instrument is that it's cut away and uh, in, in, in one part of the instrument, which makes it easier to play, uh, but it, another part of the instrument is expanded uh, so that the volume of air in the instrument is, is, is greater and therefore you get a, a darker, richer sound. So for those listening, it's, I guess you'd say the top of the figure eight is, is cut the opposite, concave, instead of concave. That's right. It looks like somebody got hungry and took a bite out of it. <laughs> Two bites out of it. <laughs> the viola monster. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's, let's uh, let you uh, get, get back in place. We wanted to hit take off pause and we'll continue our journey through this sonatina for violin and piano by Schubert. We'll listen now to the Andante, the second movement.
Tim Dighton and Jeffrey Shemway performing music of Franz Schubert, the second movement of the Sonatino for Violin and Piano in D. Never fear, we are going to hear the complete work coming up in just a few moments. That one really sings, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. Well, Schubert was uh, primarily known as a, as a uh, writer of song, uh, and, um, and we're going to play another piece later on uh, that actually was a song, uh, so that even in his instrumental music, there's, there's always that melody. Um, mm. I remember I had a, a music teacher when I was uh, in school, and he, he claimed that nobody wrote better, um, uh, well, as good um, melodies as Schubert until the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> That's high praise. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you are here in Provo playing at BYU's Primrose Memorial Concert, and the repertoire for that concert includes pieces for a unique pairing of instruments. <laughs> Tell me about these two. I would never put these odd cousins together, viola and saxophone. How did that come to be? Uh, well, yeah, it, it does uh, at first seem like a strange combination of instruments, but the alto saxophone and the viola actually have pretty much exactly the same uh, pitch range. They mm -hmm. play the same the same uh, notes. Uh, and um, the classical saxophone, uh, saxophonists make a big distinction between the classical style and the jazz style. They, make, they play with different sounds and all that sort of thing. Um, but the classical saxophone uh, actually does make sounds very similar to the viola. And so the sounds blend really very well. Uh, we've also experimented with the other instruments from the saxophone um, family. We play a piece by Tigran Mansurian. Um, an Armenian composer uh, called Lacrame, and uh, the soprano saxophone actually sounds like a, an Armenian uh, folk instrument called the duduk, and it's uncanny how how much it it it, uh, it does sound like it. But it's very interesting to hear the viola and the soprano saxophone together. There's a sort of dusky kind of color that that I think. And very I don't think most of us, the laymen, get a chance to really hear classical saxophone. It's usually Clarence Clement uh, just you know giving his all. Clarence right. Clements in a, in a Springsteen song. Honest, that, honestly, I, that, that was the case for me too. I had not heard a lot of classical saxophone, mm -hmm. um, but it, uh, no, it's a wonderful thing. Now uh, you have a duo with a saxophonist, Kerry Kaufman. Together, you're the Irrelevance, which <laughs> lets us know that this is a bit tongue in cheek. So, what is yeah. the repertoire with the Irrelevance? Well, most of it has been written for us. Uh -huh. uh, there are a few pieces <laughs> that 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 were in existence before. Um, but something I didn't know as a violist, uh, well, and probably many of violists don't know that the, the viola is the butt of many jokes. Um, uh, I suppose it goes back to the time when, when people played the viola if they weren't good enough to play the violin. Mm. Um, but uh, that is absolutely no longer the case. Uh, but apparently in the, uh, in the wind world, the, the saxophone shares the same kind of uh, same reputation. Joke. So we thought, you know, we were, we were perfect for each other. All right. <laughs> well, let, let's continue our journey here through the sonatina for violin and piano in D major. Franz Schubert, composer. Tim Dighton and Jeff Shumroy is accompanying on pianos, uh, on piano.
Tim Dighton and Jeffrey Shumway performing the final movement of Schubert's Sonatina in D. This is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. On the fourth floor of the Harold B. Library, Harold B. Lee Library at BYU, there is a door that is kind of a time portal. You, you're in a, a functional, but let's say not that aesthetically pleasing university library. And then once the security code is punched in and the door opens, you step into a whole different world, which to me is at least the music room or the sitting room of Downton Abbey, if not Pemberley. <laughs> and it, it's quite it's quite an experience to go in there and to look around and see everything from the CBE medal as he, as uh, William Primrose became a commander of the British Empire. Claudine Bigelow heads viola and chamber music studies here at BYU and frequently presents nationally and internationally about the Primrose Archive. Claudine, thank you for being with us today. Happy to be here. So how lucky is that? You're a violist and you live in the same town and with the International Viola Archive. 
Oh, it's terrific. And as the professor at BYU um, of Viola, I get to share that with my students. I get to share that with people who want to come to visit the archive. I get to be an ambassador for the archive. And it's uh, just a wonderful opportunity. One of the things that's particularly special for my students is as they get to work with these materials, they're working with primary source documents, being able to do research and things that's new research that hasn't been done before. And so we'll have undergraduates doing projects that are worthy of master's um, students' attention or doctoral students' attention. They sometimes get to work in the library, and they get to catalog these things and... Um, get to read them and study them closely, and it's been a wonderful opportunity for them. So many letters to study. Mm-hmm. So many. Uh, there, there were performance posters. There are there are molds of uh, primroses hands in, yes. the, in playing positions. There were, and I, I kind of went up and down perusing the shelves mm-hmm. and, and just pulled them out one by one in different places to see what was there. Everything from for release transcribed for viola mm-hmm. to all, all kinds of works written especially for viola. What, what do you think is the most useful aspect of the archive? Well, everyone has a different interest. Um, my students like to go and look in the locked case holdings of Primrose's personal parts and look at the fingerings that he used. Um, The archive contains much more music than just Primrose's as well. Many as, as, as the archive has continued to grow and develop, many violists have learned it's a place that they can trust their legacies as well. So we have the music of Karen Tuttle, for example, and Paul Doctor, and violists, other violists' original parts that they can study and look at closely. Roberto Diaz came from Curtis. He's the president of Curtis this past fall, and he came to look at Primrose's personal letters. He wanted to find out... Um, all about Primrose's instruments and when he was playing them and at what time. Primrose played a beautiful Amati viola that Roberto now owns. And so Roberto wanted to know where Primrose was playing that instrument and when, what music he was premiering on it, and at exactly what time he sold it and why. And those kinds of things are of interest to him. Other people come because they want to look at new music and they want to learn, make some new discoveries. And there is an ongoing acquisition program, so it's not just a static collection. Correct, correct. And I help with that. So when I go to a viola congress in Sweden, for example, I'll go to the Swedish Music Information Center and look at their new music and and find the viola pieces that we don't have in the archive and make sure that we get those there. Well, let's focus on the sound of the viola now. Since we have two expert violists in the room here, we want to hear a duet. And we'll be listening to uh, Claudine Bigelow performing together with Tim Dighton. And they'll be performing a work by Frank Bridge, an English composer, himself a violist. This piece is called Lament for Two Violas. That'll give us a clue as to the mood.
You're listening to Highway 89, and we've just heard Lament for Two Violas, a piece by composer Frank Bridge, performed live by our guests Tim Dighton and Claudine Bigelow. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Tim, uh, when you do a live performance, do you have a personal favorite piece that you love to perform live? Hmm. You know, I don't really. There are so many wonderful pieces, um, I, and I love that fact. I love the fact that there are just so many pieces to choose from. I think, um, obviously, the mood ones in make, can make a big difference. You alluded earlier to being a former violinist. You have a doctorate <laughs> in both violin and viola. What, right. do, what do students need to know when they switch, if they switch, coming from one and starting the other? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there are different reasons for doing it. Um, I, you know, there are some practical reasons. It's, uh, you know, th there's always a need for uh, a good violist. But I think ultimately the most important thing is is, is the, the the connection with the sound. The, mm. the, the viola has a certain kind of a sound. Uh, and and the role that it plays in music. Um, I, I never felt all that comfortable as a first violinist. I, I didn't want to be the prima donna. But I also have a little bit too much of an ego to be a second violinist. <laughs> so the viola is perfect, really. Um, so there is a temperamental thing there, for sure. Yeah. What is it you love about the sound of the viola? Uh, well, I think you know it is the stringed instrument that is closest to most human voices. And I think uh, that's something that most musicians, I mean, you know, I've heard uh, wind players and pianists and, you know, we, we all, uh, ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to sing. For the William Primrose uh, Memorial Concert, uh, what special considerations to choosing the, the repertoire for that concert do you have? We're going to be hearing a piece in just a minute that he transcribed. Is, is that sure. one thing you look for, something that he had an involvement in? Yeah, uh, we, we wanted to, wanted to uh, sort of show uh, through the repertoire what kind of a, an enormous impact he had. I mean, another piece that we, we, we play is, his, uh, is Benjamin Britten's um, Lacrimae, and that was a piece that was written for him. In fact, it was written by Benjamin Britten in an attempt to get, uh, sort of, as, uh, how should I say, you know, uh, to sweeten the deal to get uh, uh, Primrose to go to his music festival, which he did. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Did I read that Britten actually took some lessons? Uh, 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 Britain was a violist, uh -huh. uh, and in fact, the bridge that you heard, um, uh, Frank uh, Frank Bridge was Britain's uh, composition teacher, and they mm. both uh, they both played the viola. Yeah, and a lot of composers, uh, many many of the most famous composers, uh, were violists. Well, let's hear this final piece. This is Litany for All Souls Day, an 1816 work. This is by Franz Schubert, transcribed for viola and piano by William Primrose. And this is a, a piece that Tim Dighton frequently performs with his wife, Anne, who is herself a pianist. Today, we're glad to have pianist Jeffrey Shumway from the BYU School of Music accompanying.
Schubert's Litany for All Souls Day, transcribed for viola and piano by William Primrose. A great reminder that, uh, like uh, Tim Dighton said just a moment ago, how musical, uh, how much Schubert wrote for the voice in his 600-plus liter in his lifetime. That concludes another edition of Highway 89. Our special guest today, visiting from the Penn State School of Music, was Tim Dighton. He was joined by BYU School of Music faculty member uh, Dr. Jeffrey Shumway, also Claudine Bigelow, professor of viola here at BYU. You can hear more of Tim Dighton and music by composers of his native New Zealand on his solo CD, Viola Aotearoa, on the Atoll label. Tim Dighton sits on the board of the New York Viola Society and has taught master classes throughout the U.S., Europe, and South and Central America. Tim, it has been wonderful having you here and getting to hear you play. Thank you for squeezing in one extra performance into an already busy schedule. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. The William Primrose Memorial Concert is an annual BYU event that takes place during the first part of the year, usually January or February. More information available online at arts.byu.edu. We always like to hear from you, and we welcome your comments and questions. To contact us, simply send an email to highway89 at byu.edu. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. The recording engineer is Mark Waite, our show's producer, Jackie Tataishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thank you for listening. <laughs>